Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest is Stefan Avalos, who was once profiled by Wired magazine as one of the 25 people helping to reinvent entertainment. Together with Lance Weiler, he wrote, produced, directed and starred in the found footage thriller The Last Broadcast, a film which they also shot, edited and scored themselves, and which became the first feature film that was released digitally in commercial cinemas in 1998. The film is a true crime documentary about the two hosts of a cable access show called Fact or Fiction, who disappear in search of the mythical Jersey Devil creature. A strange fan who accompanied them and returned unharmed is seen as a murder suspect, but the documentarian believes that the footage will reveal a different story. Before making the last broadcast, Stefan Avalos directed his feature film debut The Game in 1993, an edgy crime thriller about two college boys who become involved in a deadly counterfeiting scheme. Later on, Stefan directed the supernatural horror film The Ghosts of Edendale, produced films like Paul Tarantino's black-humored horror comedy Headhunter, and worked as a visual effects creator. His documentary Strad Style, about a man from Ohio trying to make a perfect copy of a Stradivarius quality violin without any formal training in violin making, was released in 2017 and won several awards at festivals like Slamdance. In our conversation, Stefan Avalos relates the true story behind his first feature film, The Game, and talks about the development and thought process behind creating The Last Broadcast, including the surprise ending and the documentaries which inspired the film. He discusses the strategies he and Lance Weiler used to make their film look authentic, and remembers a few incidences where people were somewhat confused about the reality of the story. He also talks about the ideas behind the Ghosts of Edendale and discusses his future projects. In our conversation, we also dive into a fascinating discussion of what AI will be capable of and how that might affect the future of filmmaking and the future of film consumption. The interview was conducted in connection with our German-language podcast Lichtspielplatz. So if you speak German, please visit lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 68, which features an in-depth discussion of the last broadcast and many other found footage horror films. Also, make sure to listen to our interviews with found footage filmmakers Dean Eliotto, Brian Leslie, Ted Nicolaou and Ron Bonk here on Talking Pictures. If you enjoy my conversation with Stefan Avalos, please visit TalkingPicturesPodcast.com to check out more interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So without any further ado, here is director Stefan Avalos. So before we get to the last broadcast, speaking of classical music, um, I read on your webpage that you started out as a violinist um, at a very early age. So I was wondering how that developed and how you made the transition into uh, movies. Uh, yeah, I, I started I started the violin when I was very young and it was certainly not my choice. Uh, at two and a half, I don't think you oh. can make much choice. So <laughs> something that my parents uh, parents really pushed on me very hard. And, um, and, and I guess, I mean, unfortunately, really, uh, I was very good. Um, so, and I say unfortunately because it was never really something that I loved to do. I mean, playing uh, the violin, playing any instrument to the cal to the level that you need to, if you're going to be a serious classical musician, is um, is a lifestyle. It's not just something you know you do on the side. It is it, it it's every ounce of your being, and that wasn't really something that I was very happy with. But um, 
it wasn't until I was about, you know, 15 years old that I kind of, um, you know, sort of rate, had the courage to say that. Uh, by the time I was 10 years old or 11 years old, I knew I wanted to make movies. So it was really one of those things that, you know, even as I'm <laughs> studying my violin, practicing the violin, I really in my heart wanted to make movies. And, and it was the music and the movies, actually, that made me um, aware of filmmaking to start. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, I watched um, you know, like Adventures of Robin Hood, the old movie with Errol mm -hmm. Flynn and Corngold uh, does did the uh, did the score for that. Korngold's one of the greatest composers of the 20th century. And it was the music that made me aware of the edits and the filmmaking and the craft of filmmaking. Uh, so, so, so I was very heavily and remain heavily influenced by music for film as, as I think most other filmmakers, but the transition was not an easy one. It was, it was kicking it, you know, it was, it was difficult. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to tell my parents I didn't want to make, well, my father at the time that I didn't want to make movies so what were your first steps into the movie business how did you get your foot into the door um well i mean i started the first movies uh were with you know my friends in the in the backyard in the summertime with a video camera um and those are the old days of where the camera is one piece and the recording device is another and you're lugging <laughs> these things through the woods and and they don't belong to you they're very expensive to begin with so they belong to your parents <laughs> they have to make sure you don't mess them up and, and um and we would make, uh, generally we would make horror movies. We were really into the sort of slasher, the slasher movies of that era. And so, uh, you know, we would make, you know, stuff that had lots of, you know, tubes with squirting blood and fake knives and all the kind of stuff that, you know, that we would do. And then from that, um, I went to school and uh, started shooting actual film and learning how the, the process of shooting on film goes and sort of the... Uh, learn the rules and the grammar and the history and the theories and, and sort of a more formal education that way. And then um, right after, right after that, I actually chose uh, inst instead of, instead of completing school, I decided to save the tuition money and try to make a feature film. Oh. And so uh, when I was 22 years old, I embarked on my first feature and uh, it required uh, significantly more money than, than just, um, you know, the savings of, of, of not going to school. <laughs> um, so I, so I hit the streets and, you know, raised money and did it the real old fashioned way of, of getting investors. And, and, um, and that was shot on film and it was very classically made. It was kind of a crime thriller. And uh, so that was my first film. It was called the game. Mm -hmm. And I made that in 1993. Um, and it, it actually did well. Uh, in terms of distribution, it was distributed all over the world. Uh, it was in, in Europe, Germany, Austria, you know, it was, mm. I think it probably can still be found, uh, but I never saw a penny. So I really, oh. uh, you know, the distributors really kind of took me for uh, Oh, there you go. Here. Wow. How about it? There it is. I would, I don't even have a copy. That's, that's amazing to see. That. <laughs> yeah, that was my, that was my first film and it was made for, you know, I mean, it was a bigger budget than, than other movies, but it was, but it's a way under budgeted movie. It was very, you know, we're making by the seat of our pants. So, uh, so wow, that that's uh, <laughs> amazing to see. I found it very funny because I mean the sort of not the opening, but one of the first scenes, sort of the the start, the premise is uh, a couple of independent filmmakers um, yeah. have all this money that they printed and yeah. think, oh well, we could do something with that. 
yeah, yeah. I, I kind of thought, okay, that's nice. It's uh, sort of like a comment on the world of independent filmmaking. <laughs> in <that sense. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, by hook or by, by crook, you try to make them think, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, the, 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 the funny side note to that, and it's, you know, enough time has passed that there's no problem saying it, but that part was based on reality. Oh, when wow. I, when I was in college, uh, we did goof around making counterfeit money as a gag, just like it was in the movie. Um, and just like in the movie, a bunch of friends did spend it. And just like in the movie, um, the one guy got caught by somebody. However, mm -hmm. it really was the, it really was the, the secret service that got him. Mm. Uh, when I say him, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I so see. <laughs> I was, I was actually, um, yeah, I was actually arrested and, uh, the whole thing for, for, for counterfeiting money back then. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you have to uh, sort of pay a fee or did you get I, a I was slap lucky. on the wrist? I, yeah, I was very, very lucky in that, um, that they gave me probation for for one year of non. I had never. I was not a criminal. I had never committed. Mm -hmm. a crime. I, was, I was a good kid, so, and 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 the Secret Service realized that very quickly. But they still they still take it very very seriously, mm -hmm. and so I actually uh, had to do a, a one year of probation. You know, I didn't have to go to a meeting, but I just had to not get in trouble for a year. But but I learned the ins and outs of uh, of of counterfeiting that of money in that <laughs> in that time period in that and and i eventually decided hey you know what i might make a fun first act for a movie and then you know i take it off on a whole different <laughs> well it's a good thing you didn't run into a femme fatale and um yeah you know, right yeah, exactly. a whole murder blackmail everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it was it was the story i mean when i when i was sort of um you know when the secret service did get me, you know, they were like, it's a good thing that we got you and not some cooks because you're playing their game. And so in my head, I'm taking notes for what's going to be my, my first feature film as I'm being arrested and thumbprinted and mugshots. And yeah. Yeah. So, so there you have a, a little bit of an inside scoop on that. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I, like I said, I felt like, okay, this is an independent filmmaker commenting on it. So um, I, I, you sort of sense that there is something you know what you're talking about uh, right, I, right, right. I, I didn't expect that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it's an interesting uh side to the story uh, that um that i've yeah I, like i said at this point in time you know it's been so many years since that transpired that i have no issues with mm. saying it and, uh, it makes for a fun story you know like so mm. yeah so i i I have uh, I have a federal federal criminal <laughs> record somewhere in, in the organized crime bureau of Philadelphia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I think another thing happened on the game. At least I think that's um, what happened. I saw a name in the credits. Um, a guy who's become very important for your next film, Lance Weiler. He was one of the yeah. grips on the film. Was that where you met Lance uh, on that? I film? met Lance. Yeah, I met Lance in school, and so we had worked on each other's movies quite a bit, and we were very mm. good friends. And um, and at that point, Lance was working in commercials. Actually, he was he was uh, he was beginning his career in um, commercials. And so I hadn't seen him as much, but he was, he was in town. And um, so he helped, uh, he helped a little bit with the film uh, on a couple of days. So, yes. So, um, so that was, yeah. So we had, we had already been working together, you know, 
as students and as friends on our films uh, before before the last broadcast. Uh, so so yeah, good eye. Um, that's uh, very impressive. <laughs> So how did you, the two of you decide to team up and develop the project, the last broadcast? What was the genesis of that? Well, well, what happened was that um, I had made this movie, The Game, and and it had gone, you know, like I said, in spite of the fact that it was distributed worldwide, I, I never saw a penny. Uh, so I was broke. And when I say broke, I was in debt. I was working, you know, an editing job that would, you know, pay bills, but it, but it was not a good time. And at the same time, Lance was trying to make his first feature he was he was trying to embark on the same thing that I had done at that time and so he was in the raising money process and and that's a very frustrating frustrating time in the in the process and about I'd say nine months or so or or so into his into his attempt to make his first film um the first sort of video editing cards that were, were becoming um consumer-based cards were becoming available and you know it's so funny to say this now because you know any camera, any you know anything can do that. But but the idea that you could actually edit video on your on your home computer was just a mind-boggling thing. Um, so they were just becoming available. Uh, where when I did the game, I had to rent a flatbed, and you know we we're shooting on film, and post production was just incredibly expensive because you know all these things were rentals. So they would always be you know the clock was always ticking on them. So. You know, at that point, Lance and I looked at each other and we're saying, well, okay, we have a video, we have a camera. It was a good, it was actually the best video camera that, that was available for consumers at that time. Um, and this computer that could theoretically actually, you know, cut these two pieces of film together or video together. And so that had always been one of the big stumbling blocks to making movies with the actual, <laughs> the actual <laughs> tool, the tools. And so we were like, well, why don't why don't we try to make a movie this way you know i mean let's 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 make a movie using this stuff and you know try to see if we can do one instead of having to spend 180,000 200,000 dollars on a movie let's try to see if we just do one for no money because we don't have any money so uh so that was the thing and and very quickly we we're like well the other big issue with movies are actors you know i mean you have to get actors you have to hire them you have to find them you have to if you use them, you, you need to pay them something or at least feed them. You have to have five places for them to sleep in you know, the, the basics. So we're like, well, can we get rid of actors? <laughs> you know, we got rid of the camera. We got rid of the editing equipment. Can we get rid of the actors? You're like, yeah, we, well, how about we're just in it, you know? And so it, it evolved actually very quickly using those kind of like looking around the room, what do we have uh, sort of mm -hmm. options. So, which, which at the time was a, was a, I mean, now, of course, this is the way so many people make movies, but, but at the time it was a very, sort of fresh approach mm -hmm. uh, to sort of be able to do away with all the constraints that generally come with making a movie. So it really started more or less from a technical standpoint and from these circumstances that you were in and out of that you developed the story and the approach that you, uh, of yeah. how you wanted to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of the things that we, yeah, we looked around, we said, look, let's, let's make that move, this movie with the equipment. So the equipment was first and foremost, and then um, very quick, like almost instant, I think for maybe a minute or two, we thought of some sort of, you know, kind of crimey kind of thing, but, mm -hmm. but almost instantly we were like, Oh, well, let's make a horror movie. And uh, so then I was talking to a friend of mine um, and we were talking about, you know, yeah, we want to do this horror movie around here and here being, Uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is very close to New Jersey. And, uh, you know, we want to just see what we can do. 
And, and this friend of mine goes, well, why don't you do something about the Jersey devil and the Pine Barrens? And we're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And, and at, at that point, that legend had always been kind of this sort of goofy local folklore story legend, never thought much of it, but, but he said that. And then we're, and then we started exploring that. And, um, and so then that's how the whole Jersey devil thing kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at one point we had really thought about doing it as a kind of horror movie, but it was going to, again, that get too complicated, uh, in terms of what we could do. And, uh, we had also been, um, really impressed by, and when I say impressed, I don't mean in a, in a good way, but they had left an impression, um, by these sort of really cheesy documentaries in the 1970s, like in search of Bigfoot, you know, there were these very kind of garish, <laughs> over the top uh, documentaries. And so we started renting a lot of these old documentaries that were um, very lurid movies uh, like ch- about Charles Manson and things like that. And the Manson tapes, I think was the name of the movie. I can't remember the title, but or the Manson fan, I don't know. But the host, the, the guy who made the documentary, he's, he's front and center, he's in the movie and which I think is terrible filmmaking to be quite a documentary filmmaking. I, I don't think, I don't think the documentarian should necessarily be in the movie, you know, like, like it's a TV, you know, so, but we saw these as all these points and, and we thought they were amusing and they were, and they were things that we could mimic. And that's how we came up with the sort of, I would say the style, the, the, the grammar of last broadcast uh, in terms of having the, 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 the person being in the story. And of course, um, I mean, I'm assuming that most people who are going to take the time to listen to me, talk about this have probably seen the movie mm. and love it or hate it for you know the reason i'm talking about but but we very quickly became obsessed with the idea of well a documentarian obsessed with being in this movie would be the perfect you know <laughs> serial killer and <laughs> and um and at the same time i'd also been playing with um trying to make video look like film and try to do story narrative thing and and we had both come from the narrative world of filmmaking and so uh very early on we thought it would be really kind of an interesting interesting experiment an interesting sort of just comment on what's real and what's not if the movie that you think is a documentary suddenly becomes a narrative film like if we you mm-hmm. know like we had we were like well there's plenty of movies where they in the end the people break the fourth wall where you've been watching a movie and they're acting and then suddenly they look to the camera and they wink to the audience and you're like well that's all fake we're like, well, could we do that in reverse where the whole time we've been talking to the audience and now in the last moment we stop, you know, <laughs> so it's a, it's a reverse of the fourth wall, breaking the fourth wall. So that was a very early notion. And we were really excited by that. Um, I think a lot of people watching the movie think it's sort of like just this idea we tacked on to the end at the end because mm-hmm. we couldn't figure out how to end. It was actually one of the first things that we uh, thought of. And we, mm-hmm. built the movie, we built the movie with that in mind. And because the movie cost us no money since we were our own bosses, it was fun. We could take that chance of doing that and didn't have to deal with anybody saying you, you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're not playing by the rules. Yeah. You know, and and we'll never get our investment back because the audiences are going to hate that. You know, like we didn't have to deal with test screenings where people would kill our vision and that kind of, you know, it was, it was very freeing, freeing experience in, in that way. Um, and, and I still love the ending. I mean, I love the way that plays and, um, time has been rough to it because people know, and they don't even, 
understand not to tell you that that's a spoiler. If you tell people, oh, the ending, that is the spoiler, you know, if you, if you give that away. <laughs> but when it first came out at film fest, when the movie first played theatrically on film festivals, um, nobody knew. And the audience reaction was priceless to, you know, when they realized <laughs> that they had been completely just <laughs> suckered by this. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly something that you don't see coming. Um, and yeah. I guess that's what I mean when I say you're not playing by the rules. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. In a sense, I mean, in a documentary, um, you never take that step. And But then again, I mean, this is not a documentary that plays by the rules because it's not a documentary. So yeah, it, it, yeah. it's already a part of the DNA of the story that um, yeah. this is something else. Um, yeah. It's a strange ending. I, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of torn about it. Um, I kind of admire it because it's so daring and it's so surprising. Yeah. And yeah. then I, I, I find myself wondering, okay, why is he making a documentary about it if he's the killer? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, we, we, have, we have answers for all those, but answers don't necessarily mean that it's satisfying or even that it, that, that it works. Um, I mean, for us, we were really trying to comment on, I mean, the movie, we wanted to make a horror movie. It was supposed to be a horror movie that puts you on the edge of your seat, this and that. But it was, especially for that time, it was also a comment on, you know, what's real, what's not. It's, it's kind of interesting that now, now with sort of deep fake and, and all the AI stuff coming along, what's real and what's not has taken on a whole new, mm. much more sinister sort of uh, edge than it ever had then. For us then, it was about what's real and what's not based on how, how the story is being manipulated by people. And so, you know, that was a thing, even the name of the show, Factor Fiction, we were really playing with that, that idea. That was our real kind of interest and curiosity. And so we thought the ultimate sort of proof to the audience of what we were saying that, you know, this matters was by saying, you guys just thought you were watching a documentary. You weren't, you were watching a narrative film. And, uh, you know, at the time it, it, it worked because nobody knew the movie's history. There, it had no history. So uh, even at film festivals, we would ask the programmers to introduce the movie um, by David Lee and say, you know, I, you know, he's, he's here in the audience and he'll be giving a Q&A afterward. You know, we didn't even they didn't our names were not even presented uh, mm -hmm. when he would be introduced. So so the audience would be completely taken unaware, uh, caught unaware. And and so that was really the, the big thing. Now, it could be argued that, well, yeah, fine, dandy, you've made this kind of intellectual thing, but whatever. It's supposed to be a horror movie. And as a horror movie, you really pissed me off because you didn't, <laughs> deliver, the, you didn't deliver the goods. You know, so so, you know, there's those two schools. I understand that that perfectly. But but I'm still happy and content that the movie is, is hopefully a movie that people can discuss at different sort of on different mm -hmm. levels for that. Yeah. I mean, I just love it when a movie surprises me. Um, I just love it when a movie dares to be different and, yeah. you know, dares to try something. So yeah. um, I guess even though I say I'm torn, yeah. um, I, I sort of lean towards, um, hey, that's mm. more original than, you know, whatever else you would have come up with. Sort yeah. of like a, a, a regular ending to the documentary yeah. with the filmmaker saying, yeah, but now we know that right. um, it wasn't him or um, whatever. Yeah, it's also interesting that the um, I mean, the, the whole Jersey Devil thing is sort of a red herring in the entire story. They're, they're looking for the Jersey Devil, but he never plays or it never plays into uh, the whole scenario in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. It, it is. A, it is an absolute red herring. And 
I think, I mean, for us, one of the issues was that when we were really looking at the legend and the folklore, it's to be quite honest, it was just not interesting enough for us to, to make it make a movie out of it at least not a documentary. <laughs> maybe we could i mean it, it's something that i i think maybe somebody that has a different slant could could do something interesting in a in a as a, as a found footage film but it's we we just didn't think it would be it's very uh interesting or um i don't know it, it felt that it would be a bit adolescent if it was just a bunch of us running around mm-hmm. the woods screaming from a monster and it's kind of funny to say that because, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, we had hours and hours of footage of that and, and, and we were cutting it and, um, and we were saying to ourselves, there's no way that people would watch an hour and a half of just really crappy video of running around in the woods, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that would just annoy me. Yeah, exactly. Like, we need to make sure that the people watching this movie realize that we're not just to morons making a movie. So we are going to frame it as a documentary with the rules and the grammar and the lighting and the proper look of a documentary. So that when you see this found footage, you realize, well, this is, this is, you know, you know, this is, this is archival material. Uh, yeah. We, we didn't think that, that the public would put up with that anyone would put up with, you know, an hour and a half of just crappy footage of running around mm. in the woods we were wrong <laughs> yeah 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 and it's become a, a standard and also like you standard. say people running away from a monster that's uh chasing them yeah. through the woods yeah i mean that's sort of the basis of most of the found footage movies it is yeah i mean um and and you know i mean to our and i think to our point most of the found footage movies aren't very good because of that you know i mean there's 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 a there's a couple oh, there's a, quite a few gems but there's a avalanche of just bad bad because anybody who turns a kid they're like well it's found footage that's their excuse and like, no it, well yes i guess it is but it's also just bad bad filmmaking i mean mm. not, this is not worth anything you know so mm. so there is that kind of i mean it's it, I, i think it's good that we all have the tools to do whatever because out of that comes some amazing art but it, but it is sort of a shame when when uh when it also cheapens an entire genre mm. uh, and there, it is a lot of stuff it's just yeah so um but yeah it it, it created a whole new grammar um and uh and uh, for better or for worse <laughs> How did you go about um, making a fake documentary in the sense of, um, did you have certain techniques um, to pretend that this is something that was just created on the spot, improvisation? Um, how did you plan out the sequences of what you needed and what you needed to do to make it look like it was sort of filmed by accident? Yeah, um, well, we had a very lengthy outline uh, with the movie. So we knew really the story where it was going to go. Uh, but within that, um, there was no, there was no script that people had to memorize per se. Mm-hmm. We did have for the interviews specifically, well, for, and, and for the found footage, we did have certain words or phrases or points or times. There were certain um, sort of, um, you know, markers on the journey that people had to say or do. And if we, and, and we could, and the thing also is that we could break character in the middle of a scene with the camera still rolling. It's like, Hey, Hey, don't forget. You got to say like, Oh, what time is it? Look at, look at your wire, like, you know, and then go right back in because of course, you know, you can edit that with a, you know, a static cut of the framework or, or, or with an interview, just with cutting to some B roll or so. 
so we had that we had that sort of outline and and then we were able to play with that um i think where it was most successful uh was actually with the interviews because the interviews those weren't professional actors but i think they come off very good um we would we would tell the tell the people who were you know being interviewed we would give them exactly the information that they would have had as the characters mm-hmm. so even though they knew yes we're making a movie and it's going to be about the jersey devil and these murders we wouldn't tell them the details so so they would stumble on answers like well you know and and that kind of not knowing and that kind of having to think came across as as very realistic because in fact it it was real they they weren't reciting words Mm-hmm. Which, which is really that's where you kill you know sort of a, a non-professional trying to act on from a, it, that's usually <laughs> painful to watch so so uh by giving them just enough information and then telling them what to tell us and say well can you say it this way or you know and then you know and then they're like well what did happen you know like, well you know, it became a real conversation rather than than acting mm-hmm when you say they are not actors uh, were they friends of yours or yeah. did you sort of do a casting session uh no they were basically friends of ours um the for instance the forensic scientist uh dr van waller his name is van weller if you look at the game he was the sound man on the game <laughs> oh okay and uh yeah and uh lance's father was in the movie lance's mother uh in the beginning she's the landlady that was actually lance's mother uh so we had all these different uh people the guy who plays the police sheriff was a friend of mine that i i knew that you know from a people we hang out at a bar. He was, he's a friend of mine. Um, the video editor was a guy I used to work for was, it was the, he ran a video production company. So these were all people that we knew mm-hmm. friends and, um, that all had a sort of either vested interest in, in our making a movie or knew the movie business, but they were all a lot of fun and we only needed them for a, for one evening each. So it was an easy thing for them. It mm-hmm. wasn't like they had coming back, uh, the, the person who plays the the girl, Shelly, Michelle, uh, she was a friend of a friend. And actually, uh, that was th- the day we shot with her was the first day we ever met her. And oh, wow. like, we, we knew each other via friends, but we, we I had never met her. She had never met Lance. And and so we were really concerned with telling her, like, well, we're doing this movie, you know, and it's and we're going to interview you and this whole thing in this interview. But then, like in the movie, like we also kill you. And she was, and we were like, how's she going to take that? And she she was like, cool. I'm like, yeah, but we want it to be like really graphic. Like it's going to be like, you're going to get the movie that I was impressed by that I really wanted to uh, create the same tension was uh, Hitchcock's movie frenzy. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but you know, he, the strangler, it's a very brutal real time strangulation of a woman um, and that really affected me more than actually any of the slasher films I had seen, or even any of the Palma stuff. I was more impressed by Frenzy and that scene than almost anything I'd seen up to that point. Uh, so we wanted to really see, could we like do something that would feel that uncomfortable for the audience where mm-hmm. we're going to show you, you know, she's going to get killed right in front of you and it's going to take, you know, that time. And she was like, cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were like, Whew, it's going to be good to work with her. And she was fantastic. I mean, she was fantastic. And she could hold her breath for a long time. <laughs> so it was great. It was a lot of, you know, she was, she was great. Uh, but yeah, we met her that very day. Uh, yeah, it's an impressive scene. I mean, I was looking at it and thinking, wow, okay. Because I, I sort of knew, okay, I, I don't think it's, an oppre- it's a professional actress. Um, so that yeah. she would 
sort of do that and uh, I mean it, it really looks good the sequence looks good and it's really like you say it's uncomfortable it's it's um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was impressed with her uh, doing that and and yeah, she was great. She was a lot of fun. And and she's a very cool person. I've, I, I, of course, I've, I'm quite good friends with her and remain good friends with her. She's 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 a very talented person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I said, she was a really good sport with that. Mm-hmm. With all the names, was there uh, something behind those names other than that you were sort of playing with the names? Because most of the characters have a name that is very similar to their real name. Um, I mean, in your case or in Lance's case, yeah. but also, like you say, the um, the psychologist or. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we just were like using names that were close to their names just to make life easier. Um, and so, yeah, some of them, every time they would say their name, they'd start to laugh, you know, but but it was uh, <laughs> they were just keeping them closer. Um, I think the the close the, the nearest thing to sort of any kind of symbolism in a name was Lance's uh, locus. He liked the idea of locus for two reasons, like, you know, in terms of uh, trigonometry, geometry, you know, the low, the low side of a, of a, of, a, of an ellipse, mm-hmm. uh, but also um, it was close to locust as in the movie day of the locust, which is kind of a fun, is a great movie about filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So, so that was kind of where that was derived from, but, but it wasn't like a lot of thought was given into that. It was sort of like, you know, as we were having a couple of beers talking about different names, he's like, Locus, you know, like, oh yeah, like, a, like a, you know, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, two points, you know, and oh, the movie Day of the Locust, and, you know, mm. that's the extent of uh, that. Uh, so, so yeah, that, those were really, um, yeah, just to keep them close. And was the show itself, Factor Fiction, did that have anything to do with the, um, the Fox show that I think started around that time, the one with Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes? Yeah, no, that has good memory. That was before this. Yeah, that show came out um, probably a year, maybe later, two years later than, mm-hmm. than, than our show. So our show was, yeah. So when we were like, Factor Fiction, oh my God, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of the first times that our movie was like, that there were like similar things happening. <laughs> we were like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, we were just sort of laughing about that, you know, because mm-hmm. for us, for us, the idea of that was just, again, you know, what's real, what's not. I mean, that was our obsessive kind of thesis uh, thought with, with the movie. So, yeah. And did some of the, some real life events or some real life crime uh, stories, did those play into the whole, whole story? In our show, Factor Fiction, no, that they, they were all basically made up, made up stories. Um, there were, there was a couple, there were a couple interesting anecdotal stories that happened after our movie came out. And uh, one was that um, it's kind of a grim, a, a bit of a grim story, but at the same time, there's a real funny element to it, which was, that somebody was arrested in in the area somebody had been arrested and was in jail and they and they hung themselves in the jail cell mm-hmm. and the police had cameras on everything but the cameras weren't running pro- the video wasn't recording properly that night so their tape was all glitchy and they needed to get evidence of proof of what had happened in the jail cell so the police contacted the video editor uh, who's in the last broadcast who actually does did work at a video studio and said that they're like, yeah, we, we saw this movie the last broadcast and we were wondering if we could get in contact with your data retrieval specialist <laughs> to see if he can repair the video. <laughs> so we're like, well, did you not see the end of the movie? 
you know, uh, so we had to explain to the police that it wasn't real and that there was no way on God's green earth that you can actually restore video in the way we were demonstrating <laughs> in the movie, you know, because she's chopping it up like it's film. And yeah, so, so that was kind of a, an interesting you know, <laughs> where fact and fiction were really starting to get blurry. That was, yeah. Kind of, you know. uh, and there was another story um, where a friend of uh, a high school friend of the guy, Jim Seward in the movie, mm-hmm. whose name actually is Jim Seward. It's just that his last name was spelled differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that was his name. We didn't even bother to change his name. And, and the real Jim Seward was a pretty popular guy in that area. He was a folk singer. Uh, he was in bands. You know, he, he, you know, he was he was quite popular. And uh, and and he was a quite well known figure. So somebody watched the movie, uh, and their their parents, this guy's parents. I guess he was back from college in town visiting. I don't know what the story was. And um, his parents had seen the movie, and so they took their kid, this guy, their son, to see the movie because they knew that he had gone to school with Jim. And the parents, and they didn't say a word, the, the parents. So this guy's watching the movie, unaware of anything that's transpired in terms of the film. And he's like, I used to go to school with Jim Seward. I can't believe that Jim Seward murdered. <laughs> and he goes, who are these people they're interviewing? Jim, they're not interviewing any of Jim Seward's friends. I could have saved him. I <laughs> he, was, he said, he came to us after the movie. He's like, Is he? throughout this movie, he was getting so upset that... <laughs> And his friend Jim had been so obviously railroaded. It wasn't until the end of the movie. Wow. And his parents were in stitches because they knew that this was going to be their son's reaction. So I thought that was another fun story. You know, but it had a lot of fun, yeah, anecdotal things happen back then. You kind of know that you've done a good job uh, pretending yeah. it's documented when people react like this. <laughs> yeah, these were these were sort of the best kind of compliments that we could get. Uh, you know, when people would get that kind of incensed. I do. I want to also say that, like the the feeling of anger that I think to this day that people get with that end, that twist, um, was something. There, when I was in school, I watched a movie called um, David Holzman's Diary, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a. I guess now it's a more well-known film because it's become available, but for many years, the only, there were only about two film prints of it that could be seen in New York. And I watched it in a documentary class and, uh, you know, under the auspices of I'm watching a movie, a documentary that this man has made three days before he has to go into the, you know, being drafted. And this is just his life that he's recording in New York in 1972. And and I thought it was an interesting film as I was watching, you know, life and this and that. And then at the end, end credits started scrolling. <laughs> and then cast of characters, David Holzman, Kit Carson. And it took me about 10 seconds. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't real. Mm. This is fake. Why? I was, I was in fury. I was furious. I was absolutely furious. And I had, I wrote this essay about how much I, you know, because I have to write how much I hated this man, how I, what a piece of crap. I was absolutely besides myself that I'd been so suckered. And, um, and then I went to watch it every year because, you know, I would watch it every year thereafter because it became one of my top <laughs> 10 favorite films because it was, I thought that was brilliant. And, and so that anger and that feeling of having been so sort of betrayed by the movie uh, was something that 
we definitely took to the last broadcast. I wanted to see if I could create, recreate that feeling. And I guess, I, and I guess we have. <laughs> you know, yeah. Definitely judging by, you know, some of the you know, reviews that we get. I always find it interesting when a film provokes such a strong reaction. And um, if that happens to me, um, I'm automatically curious. Like, uh, you know, first, of course, I'm, I'm mad and, and upset and everything. And then the next day I'm like, Oh wow! Why did that happen? Let's let's take a closer look, and I I, I try to find out why I got so mad, and and yeah. then same yeah. thing happened to me. That movies become sort of my favorite movies after the, the first viewing, where I thought, oh my god, how dare they? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's 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 true. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing for any kind of art to suffer is is apathy. You know, if people just don't care mm -hmm. about it. You know, that's yeah. that's absolute worst. <laughs> <laughs> thing that can be you know but but getting a reaction that's that's a good sign of something so how have the reactions to the film changed over the years i mean i think by now most people know that it's not a real documentary and of yeah. course by now people are used to seeing sort of fake documentaries or found footage material mm -hmm. has that impacted the the when you screen the film well yes yeah, sir i mean certainly the um <clears throat> you know the, again yeah like you said people know now the genre it, it is a genre it wasn't even a genre at the time uh people understand so a lot of our comment has become moot it, it doesn't matter because the the commentary that we were making is almost built into the definition of the genre now so mm -hmm. so it, it really doesn't matter so so really the twist you know at the end um also doesn't hold nearly the sway that it would have and also since most people do know the movie or, or they've read you know they know it's coming so so a lot of that has been um you know lost to time forever and and that's a shame but at the same time you know it's a good thing that happens because it means that you know as a, as a as a movie watching culture we've kind of advanced or grown more sophisticated um i think now It, it's really become a time capsule of that time period. Mm. And that's, that's interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, the comments that it made, I don't want to use the word prescient because that sounds a bit sort of ostentatious, I think, to say like, oh, we were, because we, plenty of people, anybody with half a, you know, anybody in the business could predict where it's mm. going to go. But it has gone exactly where, you know, Marshall McLuhan and, and what we were saying and what other people are saying about, you know, the media and the message and manipulation and all that, you know, that has happened exponentially, especially even in the last year, especially really what's going on now with, uh, with all the, you know, the, as I said before, the deep faking and the AI uh, technology mm. for, for creating imagery, the message remains the same, you know, be very careful of what you see and hear. Mm. Uh, so, so it's a time capsule that just says like, wow, they weren't, they weren't that stupid. <laughs> these, guys, <laughs> these, guys, these guys had something, you know, they were thinking about something. And, and I think because of that, I am really happy that we didn't just make a movie about people running around in the woods. You know mm. I mean? I am happy for that, that, you know, our kind of, we were being accused of being over intellectual, you know, then I'm, I'm glad that we did it because mm. it, it that's the part that remains interesting. Yeah, that's why it means something. Um, yeah. I think um, also pinpoints a time in movies where especially horror films became so much more self-conscious that, um, yeah. that that era that started with a movie like Scream and 
where people were sort of commenting on <laughs> all of the trappings that the horror genre brought with it. Characters were aware that they're in a horror film and so sort of the audience was included and like, yeah, yeah. we know you've seen a horror film, so um, yeah, let us react to that and, and sort of play with the conventions and mm -hmm. um, I feel like the last broadcast really comments, I think, on like I mean, it's a it's a fake documentary where sort of there's a character who is manipulating video, and the documentarian are, is telling us that um, okay, he's just um, sort of manipulating the material so that he can get a certain effect out of it, as if that documentary was real. But in fact, the documentary is doing the exact same thing. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, that's exactly, that's exactly the thing. And, and, and even the idea of making Jim, you know, like trying to do magic tricks, you know, and, and we we're sort of implying that, yeah, it's trickery. It's all, it's, it was all, mm -hmm. it was all little magic tricks done different ways. And, and yeah, and Scream, Scream came along, I guess um, that was, that was around the same time. I think with Scream, I, I'm trying to remember if Scream was before or after last broadcast. Uh, I, I think, think it came out in 96. Yeah. It's a bit before. Yeah. Um, I remember when I saw that, I, I thought that, that was it was incredibly clever i think i think the scream franchise overall is a very good franchise actually mm -hmm. but i think that you know this first scream just you know laying out the rules was just such a great bit because they weren't talking down to us the 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 viewer the horror mm -hmm. fan they weren't you know they weren't they were treating us as equals and i and i really appreciated that that was great and of course you know like cabin in the woods you know really took that to the sort of and mm -hmm. in terms of you know the the rules i think cabin the, yeah cabin in the woods yeah um in terms of that I, I a lot of people thought that that was amazing I, I didn't think it was quite as great as i think a lot of other people but but i appreciated again how it was really taking every genre and saying you know you know yeah we're we're, we're making mm -hmm. them right here so yeah. yeah so when the blair witch project came out um i think um Barely a year after you started your film, or maybe half a year after you uh, came out with your film, did you notice that people were reacting to the film differently? Did that sort of hype around Blair Witch? Did that impact the um, the way that the last broadcast was seen? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, the biggest thing uh, with it, I mean, when when Blair Witch was first starting to, we knew of Blair. I mean, obviously, we knew of Blair Witch before it was ever finished because, um, because, because, because there was definitely crossover. Um, our movie played in the theater where the guys had worked. So, so they, we had been in communications with them and there had been different iterations of, of Blair Witch going on. When it was at Sundance, we were also, we were there that same year and, and uh, Dan introduced himself to us. Uh, no, um, the other guy, not Dan. Um, Eduardo. Eduardo introduced, yeah, maybe they both did, but Eduardo did. And I remember telling a friend of mine, I was like, oh, yeah, they made this movie Blair Witch. I was like, but it's, you know, like, <laughs> I, I didn't think, it, I was like, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's, the, it's the last broadcast. They made the last, broad, you know, I was like, it's the last broadcast. Because our movie had already been, you know, really starting to get noticed and seen and had been in quite a few festivals. So then when a couple of days later, when they, you know, when they made the big sale and all that stuff, it, it was mind boggling that, you know, that, that happened because at that point, we just figured they were just like, you know, like, well, you know, they made a movie like ours. So, you know, whatever. Ours is already out there and we've gotten a lot of publicity. But they, I mean, they made a straight ahead horror movie. So, so, you know, I think that 
their movie delivers the goods in a different and and people can argue better way than last broadcast because they made a movie designed to scare you and scare the shit out of you and mm-hmm. and especially in 1999 or when it came out they effectively did that it it scared the living hell out of everybody um we we wanted our movie to be scary but we were you know we were making a different movie it was an intellectual thing you know like i said we never thought that people would put up with watching just found <laughs> footage. We thought there was no way <laughs> you know, that we would have to frame it. And interestingly enough, they had thought the same thing because their original movie had been the same exact, you know, with interviews and all yeah. that. And it wasn't until much later that they decided like, you know, let's just go completely with found footage, mm-hmm. uh, which, which changed the course for them. They also had a, a huge advertising campaign when the movie came out. So, so the movie, the movie really got seen. Anyway, it was re- it was released by a big distributor, so it got proper distribution. Um, it helped us in the end in a big way because where maybe you know a very small part of the public had heard about our movie, you know when Blair Witch came out, and then when all this controversy about what had happened there sort of came out, and when Howard Stern's talking about it, when all these you know suddenly everyone's like, what's this last broadcast movie? <laughs> you know, and, and they want to see that. So, so in the end, you know, that, that was definitely uh, helpful to the life of, of the last broadcast. I mean, I think it would have been nicer for it to go down differently. Um, mm. But, but, but in the end, it, you know, it, it, it worked out uh, for all of us. And um, I know that, especially in Europe, they were really pushing like double packing the movies together <laughs> Yeah, 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 it got in, got pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, nothing. Here in Germany and, and and Austria, they released um, a special edition of Blair Witch um, with the last broadcast as a bonus movie. That's the way it was released here in in Germany. Yeah. And look, the the box cover art, even you know, it's <laughs> made to look like it's the yeah. the Blair Witch Part Two. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. I, I, yeah, that's that's uh, crazy. And again, that's the sort of thing that that neither party had any control over. I mean, it's, it's mm. not as if their team or our team were like, Hey, that's a good, you know, that's, that's mm. the distributor. But again, I mean, it helped, for, I mean, it helped us for sure. You know, I don't, I don't think it hurt anybody in the end. Um, I don't know. It, it, it was a very weird, very weird situation. Mm. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it has its good sides and its bad sides. Sides. I mean, like I said, it helped you to sell the movie and it brings attention to the movie. And I still remember around that time that every movie that was not the Blair Witch Project was sort of seen as a knockoff. That was sort of seen yeah. like a um, like a low rent version yeah. of the Blair Witch Project. Even you, you know you had to explain that you know the last broadcast that was actually made before. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Blair Witch, but it was just seen. Okay, there are a couple of other movies where people are running through the woods with shaky cameras or that sort yeah. of thing. And nowadays, if you look back on those movies, you you realize that they're completely different movies. Um, also, with some of the other found footage movies that came around at the same time. Um, so I think it's taken people a couple of years to sort of distinguish between the individual approaches uh, yeah. to that genre. Yeah, it, it has. I mean, and it's and it will forever be that way. I mean, for us, for for us, I will say the most frustrating thing was when people were like, "Oh, you guys ripped off of Blair Witch." You know, I mean, that would be that's when we would see red. That's when we would really get. You know, we would know. Got to be clear on this. No, our movie came first, and in fact, you know, 
yeah it, i mean it, our movie came first it was and it was out in theaters first you know it was being you know that was a big issue um that we had i think i mean i remember like we were in can and um some reporter wrote you know about our movie that way and you know i was like if you're a journalist do your research you know it's like yeah we were it was infuriating so that was that was really probably that was the roughest part of it all mm. that any that people would be like oh you guys made this sort of cheap version of an already cheap movie and we're like no <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, well, there are a lot of lazy journalists, I guess, especially yeah, film criticism. Um, yeah. So when you made your next movie, where the, the Ghosts of Edendale, um, around that time, was there any thought about making another found footage film, or were you consciously seeking for another approach or a more conventional approach? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were like, "Oh, make a sequel to the Last Broadcast." You can. There, there was always that, and that remains to this day. People are still talking about sequel mm -hmm. to the Last Broadcast that didn't necessarily interest me. And, and, and also um, to be quite honest, I mean, I, I didn't want my next movie to be a, a horror film. I, I love horror movies, but I kind of mm -hmm. like to mix up my genres because I don't want to be, it's very, very easy, especially if you're a horror filmmaker, it's very easy to be pigeonholed as mm -hmm. that. Uh, I think someone who makes a comedy or a drama has less of an issue with not getting, getting pigeonholed, but but that's what you're known as if you make one or two. And so I was kind of really kind of uh, concerned about that. Um, but Ghost of Edendale came out of um, two things. One that the distributor of last broadcast said that, you know, like if you make, or a sales agent rather said, if you make a movie right now, you know, a horror film, we can, we can most likely sell it, you know, mm. based on your name. So, so that was definitely a plus, especially as I was kind of trying to develop other projects And there's no income coming at that point for other projects. So you're like, okay. <laughs> and then I found this kind of interesting story in this area of Los Angeles that I just moved to. Um, and so we tried to make a movie again for a very low budget, but narrative. And the, to, the problem with Ghost of Edendale really there is that it was just, in terms of the technology, it was just a little bit shy of where we are now with digital cameras mm. as, as, as narrative cameras, you know I mean? Now, now, of course, everyone shoots, shoots digitally, but um, so that made the grammar of it, you know, the visual, much more difficult. So people were like, oh, it looks like a cheap soap opera or whatever. But well, mm. that, that, is, that is that time period's look. Um, but yeah, I wanted to sort of just keep mixing it up and, and, and go back to narrative. And again, it has a very interesting comment on sort of your situation as a filmmaker. I mean, it's yeah. about a guy who, well, probably selling his soul to the devil um, right. to make it in Hollywood. And I think, yeah, I mean, every independent filmmaker has that kind of sort of conundrum that you yeah. sort of, maybe you wish you were there, but um, you, mm -hmm. you also kind of know that you would lose control over uh, what your movies would be. And yeah, 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 no, definitely. I mean, I'm absolutely. And, and that was, that was, that was the big intrigue with that one was the idea of, you know, doing whatever it takes to make it in Hollywood, selling your soul, as you said, you know, to the, to the machine of Hollywood and that you just become part of that. And also the desperation that you see here with people coming out here, like thinking they're going to make it. And, and then, you know, if you, if you want to get very dramatic, how the machine can just turn you into just, you know, meat on the street and, mm. and, 
and and you just see that. So I thought that, that was kind of I was like I thought I was like wow that's horror that's horror right there you know <laughs> like I mean that's scary yeah. that could be really scary like and seeing homeless I mean of course now we have an even bigger problem but you see homeless people on the street you're like how did they get there how did that end up happening to me that like I don't know if it's if it's a common anxiety with filmmakers or artists or people who don't have a a regular steady job of like waking up in the middle of the night like having this nightmare that you have no money that you're living under a bridge i mean i i i have this that anxiety of like i'm homeless with no money and you know and that that to me is one of the scariest like that's hard <laughs> you know more than being chased by a psycho killer like the idea of mm. of you know having no money no house no nothing no food living under a bridge desperate and so i thought that that was kind of a interesting thing to do to you know to a way to victimize a person yeah, it's a more existential horror in a sense right yeah existential and 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 then also the um i was really intrigued by the sort of and and i don't even know this, it, it can play as horror or as, as anything but i was intrigued i think as, as most filmmakers get with the idea of time time and freezing time on film mm -hmm. I mean, once you shoot something, it's frozen. And that's really probably the closest thing that you can have to an actual ghost. Because we think about ghosts as, you know, repeating mm -hmm. something they did in life over and over again in a house or whatever. You're like, well, you're describing movies being projected. <laughs> I mean, that's a ghost right there. That's that's the absolute definition of a ghost. And and so all that stuff kind of started getting thrown into the pot. And mm -hmm. um, and of course, this this fun legend, the story of this of this cowboy who was a real cowboy that lived in that hill and mm. who died in this bizarre way. And so, so yeah, that was all the ingredients. Lots of very interesting textures in that film. Yeah. And I've actually had that experience in LA where a homeless guy approached me on the street and he was, um, he, he told me about a movie that he had shown at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if it was for real or not, but just, yeah. I, I mean, Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is this is L.A. I mean, like yeah. even a homeless person talks about being <laughs> in the movie business, yeah. um, or sort yeah. of dreams of getting back into the movie business or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's and it's and it's terrifying. It can be absolutely terrifying. I remember when we when we moved here, my girlfriend at the time and I, you know, we'd driven across country, just like much like the movie goes to be. No, we had driven across country, start a new life, and. Um, And when we were returning, taking the truck to the rental place, you know, to drop it off, the guy's like, all right, you got everything out of the truck. You got all your, uh, you know, your stuff, your clothes, you know, any screenplays under the, under the seat that you <laughs> left. And I, I thought that was kind of like this, like, wow, we're in LA now. <laughs> she was, she thought that was the most horrible thing she ever heard. She was absolutely terrified by the idea that everybody coming here is coming here with a screenplay in hand, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and a dream. And, uh, And it is it is a terrifying idea when you think about it. Mm. Yeah, you sort of have to know that um, you're going to make your film regardless of how many other people there are wanting to make their films, and you kind of know that not everybody's going to yeah. have their screenplay produced or become a director or whatever. But um, for instance, same in film school, like um, you're sitting there with I don't know how many people, and you just know not everybody's going to become a, a big director. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah it's a it's a brutal world of attrition and 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 of course now because there used to be certain barriers to entry like cameras and editing equipment mm. and just the sheer money that it would take to make a movie 
that used to really cut down on a lot of a lot of people making movies. Those things no longer exist. So now making a movie, I make the joke, and a lot of people don't understand what I'm when I say it, but I said, now, you know, it's great. Making a movie is as is as easy as writing a great poem. All you need is a pencil. <laughs> you know, it's easy. And 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 a lot of people don't understand what I'm saying, but but I'm like, you know, there used to be a time when making movies when the pencil cost, you know, a half a million dollars and you'd have to pay a thousand dollars a week to have that pencil. Well, you don't, you know, so now, so now it's easy. All, all you got to do is actually, you know, write, write the great poem. <laughs> so uh, it's been a real equalizer. The tough part nowadays is getting noticed, um, standing yeah. out from the sea of films that are being made. Like every day people upload their short films to YouTube and, Mm -hmm. so many people are making low budget films and yeah. don't find any distribution for it. And yeah, you know, the noise, the, the, the white noise, you know, just the sheer noise has gotten, gotten very loud. It's um, and, and distribution used to be a, a, a I mean, you know, you could make your movie, but then getting a distributor, getting it distributed was, was another enormous battle. Um, now, now technically I can shoot you. We, you could have this, you could be distributing this, you know, in another four minutes, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, you know, that, then theoretically the entire world can see it. I mean, mm -hmm. YouTube allows you to make a movie in real time. It, it's, it's like, and distribute in real time. That, that notion right there is, is unbelievable. But like you said, getting someone to see it is the rub. So things have changed, but they remain the same. It takes a lot of money to get a movie made. Now it's all, it's all in the marketing, <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky business. And I think that really the problem, the thing where it's gotten really difficult is there, there used to be this saying, you know, content is king and uh, you know, the content creator, you know, the creator is king and that's not true at all. It's it, content is not king content aggregation is king. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, that's, that's really the thing. Uh, so it being a content creator or even having the content no longer is the thing. Mm. Um, and in a way it's always been that way. You know, I mean, if you weren't, if you didn't have the muscle of, let's say Warner brothers or, or in the old days, like, you know, Columbia or, or whatever to, to get the movie into those theaters, you know, no one was going to see, you know, Clark Gable and his latest movie. It, it was just like, it required mm. that, that machine, But, um, but that machine has become so ruthless uh, in the last years. Um, and with streaming, it's become so, so monopolized by just a small handful of companies. Mm. It's kind of scary to see. And I, we'll see where it goes next because it's also really brought down the price that you get for making a movie. Mm. And, um, and the problem is, is that, you know, you, you have to, if you can't make a living making movies, ultimately you can't make movies that's that's really the problem so yeah. bringing these profit margins down so much is 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 in the end suicidal mm. yeah anyway, not to be a downer <laughs> <laughs> i know you have a couple of things in development um i mean you after edendale you you worked as a visual effects um, producer, animator, co-producer of some movies, um, but you only made the documentary Strat Style as a director. Yeah. But I saw on your webpage that you have a couple of, of, of new things in development. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a handful of projects that I have that I'm working on right now. The focus of, um, of the projects right now that I'm working on, um, I'm working on a movie that's 
right now it's called it's called atm boy uh that's the uh the, mm-hmm. the title of it and it's a narrative film based on a true story that I found that I think could be very, very entertaining. <laughs> um, I found the story uh, is basically about this, this Australian guy who, uh, who found a glitch with his credit card and went on a big, big spree with his friends, um, a huge spree. And it's a very easy story to find online. I found it and, and I actually uh, flew down to Australia, met, met them and, and connected with them and, and optioned the story and, and developed it. And, so we're in the works with that project, and um, I'm very hopeful that we'll be uh, taking off pretty soon. So, um, yeah, that sounds cool. It sort of ties in with your first film, right? Again, <laughs> people yeah. trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's interesting these days, and and this is probably actually this is the first time I'm actually saying this kind of in a in a sort of interview public forum. But I've I've been curious. Uh, I have some, I have friends who make, you know, I have a lot of friends who make movies. I try to see what's the, what's the similar vein? Like what, you know, you always make a horror movie or you always make a comedy or you're always making a, there's always something that people are, a story that people are trying to tell and they may tell it a hundred times if they make a hundred, if they're so let's say 10 times, you know, they may tell that story over and over again in different ways. And it might not be obvious that it's similar or something and and I and I and I wonder what it is because my movies are all different genres and they're they're wildly different movies. But what's the similar thread? And, and it seems to me that that it's about about copying things, about trying to mm-hmm. fake or copy or or create mimic something that's real. And and I was like, well, what is that about me that I'm so obsessed with the idea <laughs> or, or or curious about the idea of of you know, trying to create something that's not the original, but is, is like, the, you know, there's a certain mm-hmm. copying, you know, aspect. Um, Strad style, the documentary was, was, is, is about that. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but mm. it's, unfortunately not. No, no, it's not available it's, here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a shame that that is the movie that currently I'm most proud of. That's the movie that has come mm. closest to being like, yeah, that's the movie I wanted to make. And um and unfortunately, yeah, it's it hasn't gotten much European distribution, which is curious because I thought it would do. I actually thought it would do very well in Europe. Mm. Um, it seems like a very European story, but but evidently, um, American stories are not documentaries are not as of as much interest in Europe as uh, yeah. unless they're a crime or or <laughs> yeah maybe who knows yeah yeah but you know but that one is also about a guy who's trying to to replicate. A, a violin mm-hmm. uh, so so it's you know it's a very entertaining film <laughs> it's mm-hmm. certainly not a, a dull movie but but yeah they're all about that so i don't know what that says about me and again that that sort of is a connection to your past with the violin playing so yeah um yeah. i always find it interesting that um I mean, as an artist, um, one is, I think, always trying to figure out things about oneself in a way with the stories um, that one is interested in and that one is trying to develop. So, um, and I'm, I'm always looking for those personal spots uh, when I look at movies from um, a certain director or a certain writer. Um, always looking for those connections to yeah. the person or to the life of a person or between the films where I see, oh, this is uh, obviously something he's interested in or that he is trying to explore. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it is interesting. And, and it's, it's, I, I, I kind of am a little bit hesitant to do too much self-analysis because 
Um, I, I, well, first I, I kind of think again, especially if I start talking about myself this way, it, it gets a little bit sort of self pretentious, it gets pretentious, but, but at the same time, I also don't want to ruin any magic <laughs> in case, <laughs> in case there is something that's really in my head, my subconscious, that's trying to get Ooh. out. I, I kind of fear analyzing it too much, lest I destroy that. <laughs> I'm looking at a blank page, going, "What do I do?" <laughs> so, so um, yeah. But unfortunately, again, because it's so difficult to make movies unless you're a really established guy, the time between movies uh, can really there can be a long time between films, mm-hmm. and and you know. Um, People got, like I remember there was one critic when I came when I did Strad Style, you know, he was like, he hasn't made a movie in nearly a decade or 15 years, whatever it was. And as if I've been like, you know, what's he been doing? You know, I was like, dude, <laughs> not easy to make a movie, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, you know, that doesn't, you know, there's there's a lot going on, you know, in between, uh, you know, creatively speaking. So so the critics, you know, they get to just sit and watch the movie and then write something. Mm. like oh well what's he been doing you know well um, <laughs> so I, I i was like oh come on <laughs> cut me some slack here because it is tricky and i know already you know i mean since my last movie it's been five years six years mm. which is which is you know especially with covid that that's messed up time i think for everybody yeah but yeah. but you know you're like geez i wanted to have another movie going within you know 18 months you know suddenly something all this time's gone by so it's hard yeah. to sometimes see a person's path when there's so few <laughs> markers yeah. yeah it's true and i mean obviously from the outside you never see the projects that almost came together the projects that yeah. sort of took up a certain amount of time and then for some reason or other didn't happen and yeah. um i mean every filmmaker has a lot of these projects um, in in his yeah, uh, in his career, um, yeah. and yeah. unless it's somebody who's who's really prolific and you sort of read about, um, I, I don't know, Paul Verhoeven, and we know that he tried to set up a, a, a movie that was made in the medieval ages called Crusade with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and so obviously you have a couple of articles about that, and you you know what went wrong, but for most yeah. filmmakers you don't have that um, yeah. unless in an interview like this people talk a little bit about uh, mm-hmm. projects that they were interested in but didn't happen yeah no it's it's that's 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 right i mean for 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 quite a few years i was working on a project uh, it's called diamond road and it was mm-hmm. a movie that was very close at certain points to actually you know moving forward and the 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 last iteration of it um uh, the producer who was attached to it it was an airplane movie it was, it was biplanes and kind of a, ro- a road adventure actually the producer who was attached to it, uh, who was a pilot, he was a crazy, crazy pilot. Actually, he got he was killed in an experimental airplane crash in China. Oh, wow. So they're like, you know, you get the New York. Well, that's over. Mm. Like, you know, yeah, things like that happen. And, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's just that's the nature of the business. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's not nearly as dramatic as that. Mm. But uh, but whatever reasons, the movies don't happen. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's amazing that movies get made. To be quite honest, there's so many variables. There's and there's so many people ready to say, "Yeah, no, what else you got?" <laughs> like, well, that was mm-hmm. that was that was a year of my life that you just said, "Eh, what else you got?" You know, mm-hmm. it, it it is amazing <laughs> that movies get made at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
I, I think people prefer to say no because it's so much easier to say no to something that's a very easy and clear decision mm -hmm. and it's not putting you at risk when you say no because yeah. when you say yes that means yeah, yeah well who knows maybe it will fail or maybe something better will come along um, in a month or yeah. who knows yeah yeah no it's especially when you start talking about bigger movies it's 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 very scary to say you say yes and you're saying yes to you know a hundred million dollars if you're a studio, <laughs> yeah. which is why, you know, studio executives, their lifespan's only about 18 months, generally speaking, <laughs> and then they're, you know, moved on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy business. It's really like, I mean, I can't think of too many other businesses where your proof of concept product, you know, the, the product that you're, the test product, that is the product in the end, mm. you know? It's, you know, when you make a car, you get to make clay models and you look, have people look at them and then you make an actual car. If it doesn't work, you now this is it. You make one car, <laughs> and that's a car that better be, you know, generated money. It's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and also now things are really changing where people are, I think, I think that, I think the audience, the viewing audiences habits have changed in a real, very real way in that I think people are preferring to watch episodic television than feature films. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that, that is happening and um, I feel happy with myself even. So, so I think that that's something that we also need to really be watching because it's getting harder to make feature films just because you're competing with television. Mm -hmm. Good, good television. I mean, television that is, that is at least as good as, as the film itself. So, so it's tricky. It's a tricky world. I think that episodic television, I mean, obviously there, are, there have been so many great productions in the past couple of years, um, really cinematic quality and, and great writing and everything. Uh, but I think people love episodic television because it makes it easier when you look at so much that you could watch. There's um, just the selection is mind boggling. Um, and it's really hard. I mean, unless you're somebody who's really, uh, following all of it and reading reviews and everything, then you sort of know your way around the whole um, the whole offering. Yeah. But as a regular person who just you know sits down on his couch and wants to be entertained, um, I mean, episodic television sort of helps you because once you, you you try it out and when you like it, then you don't have to make that decision for a certain amount of time. You know, uh, tomorrow I'm going to watch the next episode, and the day after that I'm going to watch the third episode, and you know. If it's really successful episodic television, that could go on for years. You don't have to make that decision anymore. Yeah. I think that's helpful. Also with movies, I mean, the, the successful movies these days are essentially series. Like when you look yeah. at Fast and the Furious or anything else that has a six or seven or eight in the title. Um, right. yeah. <laughs> it's just the next uh, episode, the Marvel movies. It's the next yeah. episode of um, the same story. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, we're, we are creatures of habit, whether we like to admit it or not. Mm. Uh, and we're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and watching movies is a passive experience by and large. So it, it plays into the idea of being lazy. You want to sit down and be fed information by someone, which is one of the reasons that I don't think interactive film is going to ever be a thing. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a lot of experiment with that. And, and I've, and I've experimented with it. And I've also in the last few years been involved in, uh, virtual reality filmmaking mm -hmm. and i think these are all really interesting notions but i'm not sure that any one of those is going to ever be a, re a redefinition of the viewing mm -hmm. 
for for as long as time has existed, audience, man has enjoyed sitting and watching other men tell stories, men and women <laughs> tell stories, you know, I mean, whether it's a, a celluloid screen, a screen, or whether it's a play, or whether it's a caveman in this cave, you know, <laughs> it's always been the same thing, the storyteller telling a passive audience, and I, I don't think that that's going to change. Maybe it has an influence on the world of computer gaming, um, which looks more and more like a movie when you look at certain games, and yeah. maybe there the interactive element obviously is, is important. But yeah. there you have the problem that you want to play something. And so that means you don't want to watch parts right. of a movie or um, you, yeah. know, you don't want to be distracted by too much stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the game. Um, so again, it's yeah. a different kind of storytelling. It is. And, and, and it's a game. I mean, it is, it's not, it's, 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 it's really, yeah, they have movie elements in these and, and, and the look of these I just was watching the latest uh, demo of uh, of Unreal's Unreal Engine's latest mm -hmm. human demo, and it's unbelievably good um, in terms of what it looks like. But it's still a game, and and most of these games have to be a very simple storyline, or else it no longer is a game. It's no longer <laughs> a game, you know. So mostly it's it's the same game too. I mean, they're all the same game. It's the first person it's it's castle wolfenstein <laughs> you know, it's the same game it's, it's it hasn't changed it's still you're running around shooting people you know with, with a gun you know it, mm. it, it's, it's basically it so so it kind of has to stay the same they, they might have I, i'm simple I'm, of course i'm being a little facetious but mm. but it, it, it i don't think it can get too complicated because if it does then it requires a certain passivity on the part of the person who's ready with their you know to start shooting things Uh, so I know like when I've played these things, when they have these long, amazing introductions, I might watch it the first time, but then after that, it's like, skip, 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 <laughs> you know, get to the fight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how that develops the two worlds if they sort of yeah. merge, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I agree. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, it's going to be two separate things. Yeah. I mean, I, and games will get more and more realistic. Um, I'm a little bit troubled. Like I was saying, I was watching, I was watching this demo and I was, you know, they're like, this is, this is not real. And you know, it's, it's a terrorist operation. You see the guy getting shot. Mm. And I was like, this looks like I'm looking at body cam footage of a raid on, you know, whatever, some terrorist raid. And it's pretty disturbing to watch. And you're like, boy, this is a game. Mm. This is this looks like a live stream from a shooter video or like, like I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Messing up people. It's kind of interesting if the found footage genre will do something with those photorealistic computer generated images, because yeah. I mean, um, like you said before, with deep fake and everything that opens up a whole new can of worms and. I, I, I think a pseudo documentary could um, sort of really dive into the questions that um, yeah. we're dealing with today that, I mean, we, yeah. we, we can find videos of famous people and they look perfectly realistic and, you know, they were never there. They um, yeah. were just computer generated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's definitely, uh, definitely something to explore. I'm sure someone is exploring, but um, like I was saying, there's been there's been talks over the years of a sequel to Last Broadcast, and actually mm -hmm. recently we've been talking to some filmmakers who are interested in in doing something, and 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 we've been discussing 
you know, we were like, let's not, if you're going to do something and, you know, if we're going to give you permission and rights, you know, to the story to do something, don't rehash what we did 25 years ago, you know, make a movie that's current to now. And the now of what's real and what's not, I think is exactly what you said. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it is, and I've seen some really interesting stuff that is being done uh, again, using the unreal engine or, or others where it, it looks like real found footage, but the but it's all you know computer created, which is pretty mm. amazing. Um, yeah. So you would be a producer um, on that new last broadcast film. Yeah, yeah, we would be producer. We would not direct it. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's it's an interesting. Yeah, it, it, I, I, it could happen. I mean, it, it could happen, and we just want to make sure that the filmmakers, and we're trying to not and again we've had conversations with others over the years we don't want to be that producer that we deal with which is the person who's raining on someone's parade always they're saying no 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 or or interjecting their ideas too much into something uh don't want to be that but at the same time don't want to have a filmmaker sort of take the lazy way out and go Mm. like oh it'll be like a sequel you know well david lee was actually not you know it's it's like <laughs> do something really that go, makes us go whoa that's that that's mm. unique you know so um so we were putting forth the ideas of you know what's going on with with uh with the the, the fakery and and also um again i don't know how vr fits into it all but but i'm intrigued by by vr quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, I think that there is a definite future there that's interesting and it's very immersive and it'll be interesting to see. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out the cinematic grammar of VR because mm-hmm. um, that's developing. Cause you know, you, you can't make, it's obviously you can't make a movie in the same way. You can't do the same editing in, in that, in that style. So it sort of feels like um, a new grammar has to be developed or, or, or is being developed that mm-hmm. will work. Uh, so, you know, how can that work with, with a pseudo documentary? Interesting. So you have a lot of new projects on your plate and uh, a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an exciting time. It's such an exciting time. And, and we're sort of really, I mean, this is the golden age of the tool of tools for the, mm. for the, for the, for the maker. I mean, we can do things now with cameras that, I mean, I think about like if Hitchcock could see, what we can, how we can move a camera now, because he was always trying to move camera in a, in an interesting way. If he could only see what can be done now with, forget steady cams. I mean, that's old school. I, I'm talking about just like <laughs> an iPhone with stabilization. Mm. It's insane. Um, you know, there's nothing that cannot be done or achieved. And uh, the video editing technology, again, um, I'm, I'm, experimenting and, and sort of testing out some of the post-production stuff utilizing AI mm-hmm. and, and it's frightening. It's, it's mind boggling. What is, what, what can be done already and, and what'll, you know, next week, it'll be a whole different story. <laughs> you know, it'll be that, you know, um, you know, it'll be five versions ahead by then. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's happening so fast that, uh, that that's also just incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make a movie, you know, like I said, 25 years ago, make a movie with no actors, you know, <laughs> how, you know, jumping that, we always talk about, you know, you know, the uncanny valley that, that, you know, of when you can finally really buy 
a CG character as being real. And at which point, you know, can we make a movie with, you know, just have everybody on a Zoom conference, you know, do read the screenplay and act it. And then you're mm-hmm. like, okay, thanks guys. I'll see you in six months. And then you come back with a movie with all the locations and everything done, mm-hmm. you know, having mm-hmm. used those performances that you shot that way. Uh, I think that, you know, that's going to happen real soon. I mean, it's already happening, but I think that's where I'm kind of curious as to, you know, cause then, uh, you know, you really get to make movies that you wouldn't have had a chance to make. So uh, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting and sort of frightening idea, I think, because w- when you think about all of the different applications that you could have, I mean, um, somebody could make tons of new movies with Humphrey Bogart or could make tons of uh, sequels to whatever film where the actor is no longer alive um, or could sort of remodel the films um, in in a way that they would want them to see. I mean, we already have things like fan edits where people um, say, oh, I didn't like the ending or I didn't like the way this was structured. So people sit down on their computer and sort of retool the whole movie. And when you have all the tools, then maybe that opens up a whole new sense of participation in, in a way. Um, like when people are really unhappy with the latest season of, um, I don't know which series, Game of Thrones, that one was a, <laughs> people were really angry there. <laughs> right, exactly right. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, no, that, could, that, that will happen. I mean, it's, it's I, I mean, for us to, to theorize is one, it's going to happen. I mean, it will happen for one of the things I just was reading. And I think it's really interesting and I'm curious to see how this shakes out, but um, Grimes, you know, the singer Grimes, mm-hmm. she is uh, releasing all, all of her, her voice wave files mm-hmm. uh, and audio and, and the software so that people can actually make their own Grimes songs mm-hmm. with her voice and, and it will be her sing. It, it will be perfect because of course with mm-hmm. the machine learning, you know, this is happening now. And so she's inviting, you know, people to make song, make music with her voice, basically her, her voice, her sound, her production. And if they make any money, she splits the royalties with them 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think that's, that's kind of a curious model. I, I, I wonder how that'll shake out, you know, it, but you know, will we ever get to a point where Tom Cruise is like, all right, well, if you make any money with my face, <laughs> You know, I'll take you know fifty fifty. I don't know. It, it's 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 tricky to see how that'll work. You know, <laughs> it's like the Mission Impossible construction kit. You sort of exactly. buy the tools. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 exactly that. Um, open source filmmaking. You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that how that works mm. because that is the next step. Definitely, there's no question because you're like you said, the fan films are already. Um, some of them are spot on perfect uh they look they look perfect and then you're seeing the deep fakes now people go like oh what if tom holland played you know michael j fox's part in back to the future or whatever you see those things you're like yeah looks perfect but it's still michael j fox's performance underneath so it's not as if it feels different in any way except that it's a different face but when you have like the guy you know the the tom cruise guy uh the, the deep fake guy doing the tom cruise you know instagrams this is a guy who can you know imitate the personality the persona of, mm. of tom cruise very well 
And so then when you stick his face, Tom Cruise's face on there, that is Tom Cruise. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'd swear I was watching Tom Cruise, you know, playing a Spanish guitar or whatever, the, whatever this guy does. <laughs> so that'll be a whole level of where you have impersonators. Then, you know, I don't know artistically, ethically, and, and, and financially how it shakes out and neither does anyone else, but it's, 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 we're in for a very interesting ride in the next, you know, mm. couple of years. It's, it, it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. I mean, the possibilities, that's, um, I think, always what, mm. what drives the movies, uh, in a sense, the technical possibilities that's through the history of filmmaking, yeah. that's always been part of it. Um, what can I do to create an illusion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think the trickiest thing is going to be is, and it's not going to be. It is already now for for sure. Is um, how many people can actually you know make a living doing this? Mm. It does come down to that sort of simple economic necessity, which is sort of an, just it's an ugly truth. Is that you know we can't all be amateur filmmakers. When I say amateur, I mean just mean someone who's not making their living. You know, mm. um, you can have the uh, there's plenty of amateur filmmakers who are much better than the professionals making much better movies but they don't they can't make a living doing this so mm. you know that's a that's a difficult notion because um because if i can't then i can't make movies another reason that there's such a time period between my movies is because i have to pay the mortgage <laughs> you know, so i need to have a visual effects company producing things and i need to be doing things that actually make money but that takes away from the, from mm. the art. So uh, I think that that's something that a lot of, a lot of people, especially people who are just finding these tools, they don't realize they're, they're like, Oh, well, give it away for free. And it's great publicity. It's like, well, mm. but publicity isn't going to buy my food. Yeah. You know? So, so I don't know if, if it returns us back to the sort of, I don't know, the, uh, the Renaissance medieval times where we have <laughs> benefactors paying artists to, you know, paint the the chapel ceilings or not but uh, you know it's it's definitely uh, uh the whole model is changing in a big way mm. Mm. definitely yeah. yeah but i think a lot of people are not going to be able to make it um at least not as you say as professionals earning money earning making a living out of yeah. it um people yeah. were have to do it in their free time and if um if ai can do so many jobs also the the, the jobs that you need uh you're making a film then that will mean fewer people are making money producing yeah. movies like uh, i don't know can you do it without a screenwriter for example like if you do a really generic rom-com then maybe ai can produce a good script for you <laughs> i don't know um yeah no it will be able to i mean already uh especially the newest version of chatbot for the 4.0 version yeah. is stunningly good in terms of coming up with boilerplate stories and i look at them and they're like well it's not very creative you're like well yeah but neither is a lot of Hollywood stuff. <laughs> yeah. so uh it, it does that it, it yeah. yeah the whole ai thing is is an entire beast that is uh, going to be i think i don't think it's an understatement to say that it's the most significant leap forward in terms of human i mean you talk about revolutions the industrial mm. revolution or the internet revolution or, or the bronze age, even, you know, I actually believe that, that this, what we're seeing, especially, I mean, I've, I've been involved with it for several years. Um, I worked with a company uh, 
in, in Silicon Valley in 2018, developing an, an AI machine learning program for, for post-production that mm-hmm. when I saw when I was seeing that, I was seeing the writing on the wall, but this year, especially, you know, this is 2023 is the year that it really hits the ground. Um, I think it's, it's as significant as the industrial revolution, you know, the, or, or even the bronze age. This is the last, this is the last great invention that humans will create. This mm-hmm. is it. After this, every invention from here on will be created by machines. Humans may have a little bit of input and say, hey, I'd like to see, but it's going to be the machines that actually figure it out. Mm-hmm. That significance, I don't think can be understated. I don't, you know, I think people are starting to catch on, but this is the last great invention made by humans. That's significant. <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah Yeah, not not just in terms of filmmaking in terms of the whole society and the way that we live our lives i think yeah yeah for sure i mean i think the creatives always thought they would be the last to go you know they'd be like well (laughs) ha ha you know too bad for you but we but can you write a poem (laughs) guess what (laughs) (laughs) guess what guys (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, I was actually talking to a friend earlier today, you know, if movies were made by artificial intelligence, um, would I want to go see that? I mean, other for the novelty value, like the first movie that is generated by an artificial intelligence. Yes, obviously, I would want to see that just to see what it is. But in generally, like every month, every week, movies come out created by artificial intelligence. Would I want to consume that? would they be advertised as such? Would the poster or the info on the streaming service would that say? Would it say this movie is AI generated? Um, and I think no, because I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for that, like I said, the personal things, the human element in, in the storytelling. Um, somebody who's telling me the, how they see the world. Somebody who's trying to entertain me with a good story, a good joke, or trying to frighten me, or yeah. You know, but I have a feeling of connection to another human being in that moment. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think that uh, where what's going to happen is you're not going to know that it was AI. I think there's still going to be somebody taking the credit for it. Um, and certainly, and this is where I do have the hope, because I, because I will admit that I'm, I'm using these tools. I, I mm. absolutely am using them. But it's not that I sort of press the button and then off it goes, it released, mm-hmm. done. I'll use it and it's, it may be a starting point um, mm. that I then hone and finish. It, it may actually be much more than a starting point. It may only need a little bit of a brush up, but, but it does need the human touch. Mm-hmm. But at least for now, I mean, again, you know, now in 10 years, in five years, in 20, I don't think so. You know, like the way I'm seeing it develop, I think that that's also temporary. I think we'll probably get to the point with movies where, who knows? I'm prognosticating here, like a, some sort of future. I don't, I don't know. But you could come home and instead of scrolling through Netflix, you know, or or whatever your streamer is saying, like, oh, what's the latest movie? You know, you could come home and say, like, I, w- I want to see something kind of like uh, Seinfeld, but maybe a little bit more art. And then it'll just get generated for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that could happen, I think, where, you know, it's it's that, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I keep I keep looking at music. Uh, well, the thing, yeah, music is being one of the things. Like, like has somebody yet come up with an AI that could be like, oh, I want to hear a Beatles song? 
you know, like a, like a new, mm-hmm. I want to hear a new old Beatles song, you know, like, or, or like, I want to hear a new rolling, new old rolling song, pick, you know, Dave Brubeck jazz thing. Mm-hmm. It would have sounded like early, early Brubeck or, you know, like I'm just making up and pulling stuff out of the air and that it then boop, makes it happen, you know, and that's not happening quite yet, but we'll see how long it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be to your point, it'll be interesting to see how satisfying it is to the end user. Like, do I derive joy from hearing that? Because, because like you said, there's nothing like listening to something from somebody you respect, a new artist. You're like, all right, what have they made? You know, what, you know, movie or, or book or, or music or, you know, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know for instance, you know, I don't care what the movie is going to be 10 years from now, but when the Coen brothers come out with a new movie in 10 years, I'm going to be one of the first to see it because that's how yeah. much respect them you know i'm always excited like, for the latest you know yeah yeah so yeah. yeah i think what i would always use it to sort of create mashups if i had this um mm-hmm. technology like you say i come home and say oh i would love to see um i wouldn't just say oh i would love to see like i, I don't know a new jim cameron movie or, or something like that i would create little jobs like okay what would it look like if Blake Edwards directed Avatar? <laughs> and then that's, that gets generated. That. I would definitely watch that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'd be very curious to use sort of strange combinations like that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's a great pitch right there. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that, that's, that'll happen. I mean, it's going to be the mid journey version of filmmaking. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll yeah. talk again in, 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 in 10 years and see how much our, um, the, our, our crystal balls have uh, become yeah. reality. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say, you know, 10 years is, is that's, I, it's eight months. <laughs> yeah, it's happening so fast. Yeah. yeah but, like but, tomorrow, yeah. maybe there's a new uh, development or a new yeah. story that. Yeah. 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 Who knows? But yeah, but certainly the next few years will be very interesting. I think that probably the most important thing now for artists that they must realize if they haven't already is that you cannot just be a writer or a director or an act. You have to, you must also be a producer. I think the word producer has to be a hyphen onto anything that you are. Uh, you have to really kind of be more of a businessman than ever if you're mm-hmm. going to be if you're going to be an artist, because mm-hmm. it's too easy to replace the artist with something that's good enough. So, so I think it's really important to 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 look at, at it that way mm-hmm. uh, if you're gonna if this is if this is going to be a profession. Yeah, and also to be somebody who makes things happen, who sort of instigates his own yeah. projects and yeah. uh, not wait for somebody to uh, yeah. say, oh, hey, wouldn't it be great if you made a movie for me or yeah. <laughs> created yeah. a song for me? Because I think, think those old structures are slowly falling away or maybe mm-hmm. not even slowly, but um, I mean, it's sort of the independent spirit that, that you need when you sort of, yeah, I'm going to make my own movie. I'm going to make my own song write my own book that kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah no absolutely and 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 then the good news is that it's a lot easier now to do it i mean that's the reason it's still happening but but mm. that wasn't possible you know 25 30 years ago it's it's easier now to do it you have a phone if you have an iphone 
you, that's a studio right there. Mm. You've got it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, even movie. though you showed with the last broadcast that you don't really need a lot um, mm -hmm. to make a movie. How much was the budget? I, I read something about $900. Yeah, the budget, when we made, it was funny, when we made the last broadcast, uh, you know, we said we want to make a movie for no money. So, so we, we actually went over budget by $900. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> uh, when we, yeah, when we tallied all the, the production costs of the movie, uh, it was truly that I mean, people think that we're making up some kind of gag or whatever, but, but that was really it. Now, when the movie actually started making money, when it, when it actually, because eventually it became a quite a profitable film, we did pay people like all our friends that worked on the film, we mm -hmm. paid them like SAG rate for like what they would have, like if they had been a SAG actor working mm -hmm. that day, you know, we used the SAG rate as a, as a rule and we paid them, you know, for their, for their time. And so the, so the budget eventually went up, but we were able to make the film for, for, for 900 bucks, you know? Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, that's, anybody can do that now, but, but then it was <laughs> really just, unheard of uh, because the big story then had been uh rodriguez making um el mariachi for about seven thousand dollars and that was like oh for seven thousand how could he do that you know and, and so 900 was a whole new floor <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah did you ever think about um making another movie with with lens together partnering up with him again We, yeah, we talked about it and who knows, maybe one day we will, we'll do something, mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, we, we, I mean, I'm, and I'm very good friends with Lance. It's it was certainly not a kind of um, personality or anything like that. Nothing dramatic. It was just that we both had our ideas of what we wanted to do. And, and Lance mm -hmm. actually did help me out. I made a, a music documentary, um, like a concert film uh, a, a couple years after, after last broadcast and, and Lance helped me with that. Um, but that was just a small project that never really uh, was released. So, but, but Lance is on the East coast. He's in New York, mm. and Pennsylvania, and he works in New York and I'm on the West. So that's one issue, you know, that makes working together uh, trickier, mm. but, uh, but yeah, um, maybe one day we'll see. Mm. <laughs>